Okay, so how do we walk around in the dark? That's the question of the text. Now, the first answer from Isaiah is going to come from 822. Here it is. You ready? Here it goes. And they will look to the earth. Here's the first answer, how you walk around in the dark. This is actually going to be the answer to why it's so dark. So why is Darth Vader planet so dark? We don't know, but we're going to know why we're so dark. We're going to know why our families are so dark. We're about ready to know why our institutions and our country and our culture and whatever you want to say, your personal life, why it's so dark. Here it goes. You ready? And they will look to the earth. Well, what are they looking to the earth for? The answer is what? Light. Light. Everyone knows they need light. Everyone is looking to the earth for light. You're looking for form. You're looking for fullness. You're looking. Light is, is life. Light is everything. Everything that's good. So in other words, they're looking to the earth to bring light to their lives. They're looking to the earth to bring light to their relationships. They're looking to the earth to bring light to their culture and their churches and their institutions and their schools and their athletic field. They're looking to the earth to bring light to their lives, period. And the question is, well, how are they doing that? And that's what all of Isaiah has been about, and we're not going to cover all of Isaiah. How are they looking for the earth to bring light into their life? Well, they're doing it the same way you and I do it. Ancient people and modern people are the same. Do you know how they were doing it literally in that day? In that day, they were looking for national prosperity and national security. In other words, they wanted a good economy. They wanted a strong military. They wanted global alliances. They wanted political policies. How else did they look for light? Well, they, they looked for it through strong religious devotion. They were, there were calls for people to get their lives fixed over and over again. You people are messed up. Your families are messed up. Look at the statistics. In Israel, outside of Israel, they're the same. They had those kind of things going on, and it was like, get more religious. Be more devoted to God was going on. People were looking to bring light by being more devoted to God, being holy in their lives, uh, keeping the rules, more devotion to being a good Christian, more devotion to something that would activate the light. So people would all say, what activates light? And most folks in the church are going to say some form of holiness, some form of connecting to a biblical principle, some form of fixing this area of your life, some form by which the Holy Spirit's released on you, some way to activate God. They were doing the same thing we do. What else were they doing? Well, I mean... They wanted to be loved and accepted by people, too. They wanted people to love them and accept them. We look for light in people's love and acceptance. They did the same thing. They looked for light in romance, sex, money. They looked for light in power and influence and people liking you. They looked for light in self-discovery. In other words, be all I can be. There needs to be a little more me time. I need to figure me out. I need to know who I am. I need to have a stronger self-image, and, and I need my needs met. And they thought that way. They tried to bring light into their life that way, just like you and me. They also had cultural movements and revolutions, religious, cultural, educational, political 
I mean, we think power plays are strong now. How about when your whole family gets wiped out? And nobody, like, was saying it was an accident. They just had a mysterious death. No, it was, no, we just wiped out their whole family. My sword has still got blood on it. I want you to, not, don't miss this, though, what this text is saying. It's incredible. What Isaiah says about this effort to bring light to our life, our relationships in the world. Notice what he says about it. But behold, they will look to the earth to bring light to their life, their relationships, their culture, their world. But behold, remember in the Old Testament, when you hear that behold, it means pay attention. That's what he means. But pay attention. Here it comes. Distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. Do you see what's happening here? How do you walk around in the light? The answer that Isaiah is saying to us right off the bat is not by trying to bring light to your life, relationships, and world. Actually, that thick darkness means darkness is present and you're just adding darkness to it. So in one way, the text is already answering for us why it's so dark. This text would say, because we're all trying to bring light into our life, our relationships, our world. And that light-bringing effort is making it worse. The darkness just gets thicker. Thicker. So most of Isaiah, which is fascinating, when you look at the whole book as a whole... So now you don't have to because I'm doing it for you. But if you look at the whole book as a whole, two-thirds of it, 39 chapters of it are a record of, guess what? Failure. Israel's failure to bring light to their life, their relationships, their relationship with God and the world. In other words, Isaiah is one long book of failure, 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 failure failure. Stunning. Who writes books like that? Let's put up one of the greatest books in all the Bible and it is a record of failure. In other words, this book, Isaiah, it's for a certain kind of a person. This is what's so powerful. Isaiah is a book that's not for those who are convinced and sure of themselves. It's not for those that are confident and strong. It's not for that kind of person. It's for those who have failed. It's for those that say, I have no light within me. I have failed to bring light to my life. I have failed to bring light to my relationships. I have failed to bring light to my world. I am a failure. And Isaiah says, if that's you, good. This book is for you. One of the areas that still needs to be healed in my neck and that the vestibular stuff that's going on involves the darkness. Uh, literally walking around in the darkness. Walking in the darkness. Um, I have to turn a light on when I go to bed. No, Ty, not because I'm scared. But because my brain needs it. 
right? My brain must have shape and form and fullness. So what could happen? Let's say my wife goes to the restroom and turns off that light that I turned on. If I wake up in the middle of the night, it's chicken little. The sky is falling. The sky is falling. My brain has nothing to form itself, nothing to inform it that the world's not falling to pieces. (laughs) How do you walk around in the dark? How do you walk around in the dark? Isaiah says, when someone turns the light on, there's no big secret here. The only way to walk around in the dark is if Someone turns the light on. 9-2, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. In other words, this is phenomenal. We fail and fail and fail and fail and fail to bring light to our lives, our relationships, our culture, and our world. And then someone does the impossible. They turn the light on. A great light shines amidst all your failure. This is the energy of grace. If we're going to get like, let's get a little theological here. The word that's describing what's happening is grace. This is the energy of grace. This is the work of grace. This is the dynamic of grace. This is the power of grace. This is what grace does. In other words, grace shines. A great light shines. Where does it work? How do you know grace is present? How do you know that it's personally active? How do you know? Because it shines in the dark. Always. Grace runs to the dark. Grace shines in dark places. I mean, look at this. This is phenomenal. Look at 822.91. Do you see the words distress, gloom, and anguish? In other words, what this text is saying is that grace shines like a great light in all your personal breakdown. Those are words of personal breakdown. Distress, gloom, and anguish. Mental, emotional breakdown, whatever you want to call it. It's a breakdown. And grace shines like a great light in that area. Go down to 9-1, Zebulun, Natali. What is that? Remember, those are the first tribes that got taken away by the Assyrians. The Assyrians made the Babylonians look like toy soldiers. The Assyrians worshipped the god of war, so they, they reflected that image. They would take fish hooks and stick them through. Whoever survived their slaughter, they'd take a fish hook, stick it through their mouth and pull it through and then weave it into the others and they would pull them because these are our fish. <laughs> they were brutal. They take out Natali, they take out uh, Zebulun. And grace shines like a great light into areas that have been condemned. Because remember, there's an there's a exile because Israel wasn't obeying God, wasn't doing the law. So it was the just result. When you turn away from God, you turn away from life, all you have is darkness. So God says, here's the darkness. You get it. And so in one way, this is saying that grace shines in places of condemnation. Grace shines in places of guilt, sin. It's undeserved. 
Then look at 9.3 and 9.4, and it says when they divide the spoil. In other words, there are, these are places that need a victory. These are places that are completely beat down by some dominating power. And then you keep going on, and it says in 9.3 and 9.4, the yoke of burden. These are places of suffering. Then you go the rod of the oppressor. These are places of oppression. So grace shines like a great light in pain and suffering and evil. What dark place are you in? God says, I show up there. That's where I show up. That's where I'm at work. That's where I do my greatest, best work. What's so stunning about God's grace, though, is that it's a child. That's what's so stunning about this text. I mean, you're not, it's unexpected. The uh, reader, the ancient reader would have been like, whoa, what? Nobody um, put their hope in a child. They put their hope in a warrior, a king. And so that's so stunning is that um, God's grace, God's work, this light that shines in the darkness is a child. It's Christmas, right? For to us, 9-6, a child is born. To us, a son is given. So here's what's so fascinating. When you fail and fail and fail to bring light to your life, you need a child. You need a child who does not fail for you. Watch this. This is unbelievable. Look at verse 6. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And, and, here it comes. Are you ready? The government, the kingdom, the light, everything that's good. Everything that's wonderful, are you ready? Shall be where? Upon his shoulder. Don't miss this. Hear it again. It shall be upon his shoulder. In other words, everything that ever needed to be done, he did. What makes the light happen? Ah, will I measure up so that the light can come? Ah, will I be perfect enough, holy enough? Will I connect with God enough? Will I connect with people enough? Will I... And the answer is, you fail and fail and fail and fail, and he didn't. He puts the whole thing on his shoulder and does everything that ever needed to be done. You don't do anything. A great light shines on you. So you know what you can say? Where's the dark? now. Let's keep going, y'all. I'm gonna blow, we're going to blow ourselves up. Are you ready? When you're swallowed by distress and gloom and anguish. In other words, when you're personally swallowed by psychological breakdown, because that's what those words are. When you're personally swallowed by mental emotional breakdown, that's what those words are. You need a child who knows you Let's look at the text, verse 6. For to us a child is born, a son is given, and, here it comes, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Literally, wonder of a counselor. Wonder is the closest thing in the Old Testament world for saying supernatural. So this is a supernatural counselor. In other words, hear it again, a wonder of a counselor. That means he knows you. And he knows what's going on with you even when you don't. He knows 
even though you don't. And he counsels you through it. You know this. You know that I know this. I can tell this. I can be in the darkest place, and my wife comes in, and she counsels me, and I'm out of it. Out of it. You know the Proverbs say, good counsel heals us. Good counsel brings light to our darkness. Good counsel. And here you have a wonder of a counselor. This child is the wonder of a counselor. This child is a supernatural counselor. This child heals you. He knows you. And knows everything that's going on with you. And he speaks healing and light into your heart. A great light shines on you. So where is the darkness now? Let's keep going. The text keeps going. We're going to keep going. When you're suffering without relief. Let's say you're suffering without relief. There's no qualification on it. This text just says you're suffering. Or you're oppressed by dark powers that are beyond you. And those dark powers that are beyond you, if you were to track the rest of Isaiah, would be things like sin, like condemnation and guilt, like demonic, like human agents of oppression, uh, the state All of those things are here. So when you're suffering without relief or you're oppressed by dark powers beyond you, you need a child with unimaginable power. Impossible power. Don't miss this. For to us a child is born, a son is given, and here it comes. His name shall be called Mighty God. Literally, the hero God. The one that the psalmist says, he laughs at all the dark powers. He laughs. Laughs. He laughs at them. He laughs at a pestilence. He laughs at beastly state activities. He laughs at oppressive people in our life. He laughs at your sin. He laughs at your condemnation. I'm the mighty God. I'm the hero God. And he's for you. He's on your side, Paul says. This text, the child is for you, given to you. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. He's on your side. So you know what? If he's on your side, you know what I'm doing? I'm laughing. Is that all you got? Seriously, is that all you got? Ha. When you doubt God's love, or keep going, the text does, when you struggle with God, let's talk about now doubting God. Let's talk about struggling to believe that God loves you. Let's talk about you having a hard time trusting God. You need a child who loves you more. (laughs) I mean, look at the text. For us, a child is born, a son is given, and here it comes. His name shall be called Everlasting Father. This is not proving the divinity of the child. This is proving the love of the child. The child's love is an everlasting fatherly love. This is not trying to prove the divinity of a child. Most folks think that's what's happening. That is not what's happening here. 
It's already proved by all the other things that are being said. So in other words, everlasting father means he loves you more. Period. Period. Right? In an everlasting way. For instance, sometimes as a father, those of you that are fathers, you have those moments, right? You have those moments when one of your children says, I love you, Dad. There's nothing, there's nothing greater than that, except when I say I love you more. That's better. It's always better. An everlasting father is a God that says, I love you more forever and ever and ever, and ever. A great light shines on you. So where is the darkness now? Last, when you have no peace, let's say you have no peace personally, you have no peace relationally, you have no peace culturally, you have no peace circumstantially, you have no peace at home, no peace at work, no peace at school, no peace on the ball field, no peace in the classroom, uh, no peace. You need a child who is your peace. Do you see this? You need a child who is peace, who is your peace. For instance, for to us a child is born, a son is given, and here it comes, his name shall be called Prince of Peace. He's the King of Peace. In other words, he is peace. Wherever he goes, peace goes. Wherever he is, peace is there. Whatever he touches, peace is released from him. Wherever he touches, he heals you with peace. Peace. He's your peace. So in other words, to understand that he's your peace means that the pandemic is not your peace. How the pandemic is doing is not your peace. It means if he's your peace, how you're doing is not your peace. If he's your peace, it means how, how your child is doing is not your peace. If he's your peace, it means your peace is not when people like you. It's not when people accept you. It's not when people think you're a big deal. If he's your peace, it means it's not when you feel important. When he's your peace, it means... He's your peace not when you're right and not when you win. He's your peace. A great light shines on you. So where is the darkness now? How do you walk in the darkness is the question, right? Well, the first answer is, from this text is, not by trying to bring light into your life. Not by trying to bring light into your relationships. Not by trying to bring light into the culture. How do you walk in the light? <laughs> By the light of the child. A great light shines.